The following Bible study is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. For more studies and information, go to graceteaching.net. And now, here's our Bible study. Remember, we do. We have a business meeting after we're done with lunch, so if everybody can make sure we get down there and eat, so we can get the business meeting started. We don't really have a whole lot to talk about, but so okay. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will look into our study. Our Father, we're thankful for your Word, the time to uh, open it, to look at it. We're thankful for the uh, time for the di- different individuals have put in and in studying to share with us. We're thankful for the last hour with Jim. Uh, and being encouraged for us to think about qualifications of a deacon and why that is actually very important and how that relates to to faith in general as well as the faith. We're thankful for these things. And we're thankful now as we look at your word and about this uh, covenant that you made with uh, the family of Israel and ask that you to help us to think clearly on these things and, uh, and really to be able to appreciate the fact that we're not under this covenant it's does, it has no bearing directly on how we live today, and we're thankful for that. Amen. So as we're looking at God's covenants, and specifically his covenant with us, we are going to go back and we're going to, we've got part two of what we looked at last week, looking at what is popularly called the Sinaitic covenant or the Mosaic covenant or the covenant of the law. And it is a conditional covenant. And a conditional covenant means that there are requirements that are placed on all the parties involved. So sometimes we have an unconditional covenant. It rests only on God's shoulders. But this is a covenant that some of it rests on God's shoulders and some of it rests on Israel's shoulders. And uh, in this, when we look at these things, God's blessings required Israel's obedience. And God would curse Israel for their disobedience. And we've talked about a number of these things in the past. So as we go through and, and take a look at some of this, I want you to First of all, talking about blessings, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. If you grew up in a church, um, like my wife, my wife grew up in a United Methodist church, and I don't know if every, she can tell me for sure, if every pastor they had did this, but at the end of the service, the pastor would go out and, they call that a benediction? Is that what that is at the end? Okay, Uh, because we did not do this in our church. But if you look in verse 22, this is a really good illustration of a blessing. It says, And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, They're the priests. Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you. Now this is, their word bless in the Hebrew really, there's a lot of things involved in it. But essentially essentially it, it had the idea of to do something that was good or beneficial for a person, to provide something to them. So it, there's a, quite a breadth in the idea. It's not, our, our New Testament words for blessing are different because we have saying good things about, eulogia, and then we have um, makarios, which means to be happy. Barak in Hebrew, barak simply means to bless. And that breadth of what exactly is involved, you're saying some good things about for their future, but you're also in saying those good things, you are promising certain things for that future. So he says, the Lord bless you. 
Secondly, the Lord keep you, that word in the Hebrew, to guard you. He's going to guard you. That's one of the things. Let the Lord be the one that guards you rather than you having to guard yourself. The Lord make his face shine on you. What does that mean? Your face shine on you. Well, if your face shone on a person, it really meant that God was acting towards you in a favorable manner, in a positive manner, rather than, well, would you use face shine upon you if he was scowling? He was looking down at you, scowling at you? Get the idea? So his face shine upon you is that God has a positive. So in other words, what, what you want is for God to look on you positively. The next one, and be gracious to you or show you favor. Don't you want favor from God? As opposed to God having to get on your case, God having to deal harshly with you. And the Lord lift up his countenance or lift up his face on you. Again, kind of like that last one, make his face shine upon you. If you, just, if you can step back in your memories and remember back in Genesis chapter 4, when you have Cain and Abel and they both bring offerings. And in the Hebrew, it's very simple. It says that God comes down and he looks upon Abel's offering. It's literally all it says in the Hebrew. But then it tells us, but he did not look at Cain's offering. What's it saying? Well, this wasn't acceptable. He wasn't even going to come over and he wasn't even going to acknowledge this because Cain was bringing something. It wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right attitude. But he looked at this because he did the right thing. And that's what he's asking for, that he'd lift up his countenance, lift up his face, that he would have this, again, this, this positive outlook towards you. This is kind of brought out here. Bless you, make his face shine in you, and let his countenance be upon you. So each one of these starts a section in here, you can see, and I've tried to outline it that way. Bless you, uh, make your face lift up his countenance, and then something that goes with that, and then that last one, and give you peace. And the Hebrew word shalom, I probably should have asked you how many of you know what the Hebrew word for peace is. And a lot of you probably could have said shalom. I mean, a lot of English people speaking that don't know a lick of Hebrew, they know the word shalom. But the word shalom means completeness or wholeness. It means things are the way they should be. Things are together. They're not falling apart. They're not breaking down. And that then, as a derivative idea, involved peace. There's peace when things are the way they should be as opposed to things in conflict or falling apart. And this was a blessing that the priests of Israel were to say to the people. This is what they were supposed to speak. But to me, it's a good illustration of what these people were looking for, what the people of Israel were supposed to look for when they were looking for a blessing in obeying the law. Don't you think that would be a very good, simple illustration of what they should be looking for? Now, this is going to be broke out in more detail. So let's take a look at some of the other things. So we, anyway, we got this, we have a heading in here. He's going to guard them. He's going to look over them, shows them favor, and he's going to look on them favorably. And then in the end, provides peace, this, this idea of this wholeness. So how did he do this? What are some things he did? Well, provided them long life. Exodus chapter 20. Kids, listen to this, because actually there is still in a nugget, there is still some truth to this, in general, in general. We're not under the law, but it's interesting that Paul does cite this over in the book of Ephesians. So Exodus chapter 20, we're not under the law, we're not under the Ten Commandments, but notice what it says in verse 12. Listen to this, kids. 
Okay, we're going to say, kids, anybody 18 and below, anybody that's still under mom and dad's roof for the present time, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land. Now, I'm going to be honest. When it says honor your father and the mother, I don't think that that probably was. We, we use it limited to kids, 18 and under, right? But you know what? Just because I'm 57 doesn't mean, well, I don't have to honor my father or mother anymore. I think to your ability, as God makes it possible, you honor your parents as long as you can. Unless your parent is going to require you to do something that is detrimental to the faith, detrimental to your health, or detrimental to their health, you are going to honor them. And so he says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land. Prolonged in the land in simple terms means, you know what? Generally, a, a, a person that grows up learning to show respect to their parents generally is going to live a life that's generally going to be long. There's lots of people that grow up and they don't learn to respect their parents. They are constantly fighting against their parents. They're constantly at odds with mom and dad, and it brings no end of trouble on them. And I think I've told you that there was a young man that I actually graduated from high school with, and that was kind of the way he lived his life. And I went in there, and man, I'm telling you, he just, he was trouble, trouble, trouble. So it was no surprise that um, five years out of high school, he drove his brand new Trans Am. Do they still make those anymore? I don't even pay attention to cars, but they had one then. He had a brand new Trans Am, and he drove that at about 120 miles an hour into a concrete bridge. You can imagine how that went. And nobody was surprised. I mean, eh, people were kind of like, oh, that's too bad. But most people are like, it was just a matter of time because this is the way he lived his life. And generally, place you really learn to live life in general, he's trying to tell Israel, so you can learn it right there with the way you relate to mom and dad. And I would say there is a little bit of an aside or a little bit of truth to that with us too. God may have other plans for us. But long life, that's one of the things. And that's true several times throughout the law that God promised Israel long life for obeying the law. Lived a long life. Okay. You and I have, by the way, no such promise for us. We have no such promise that if you do all the right things, you're going to live to be a ripe old age. And I can give you an example, right out of the Gospels, or right out of the book of Acts. We have two brothers, James and John, the sons of thunder out of the Gospels. And James, John's brother, is taken at an early age, probably when he's maybe only about 30 or in his early 30s, and he's taken and he's killed by Herod. Now, his brother John, was he better than his brother James? Because John lives into his 90s? Never. The Bible doesn't ever tell us that. So there's an example that you got two brothers. To our knowledge, both of them are equally doing what they're supposed to do. But God takes one home early, lets one live out into his 90s. We don't have that promise for us today because we're not under a law system. Like I said, there's a general principle that we could just say, but I want to be real careful with principalization. Uh, you know, let me use that word that way because it's real. That's a slippery slope, isn't it? Try and take the law and principalize out of it all the time. Look down in chapter 20, down to verse 24. He says, you shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to remember, I will come to you and bless you. 
So he doesn't want them to build an altar out of chiseled stone and things like that. He doesn't want you to be so going to make an a earthen altar that they're going to offer things on. And he's going to bless them. He's going to bless them and he's going to bless their food. He's also, if you look down, let's go um, chapter 23. I've got to make sure I'm getting all of these. Turn over to chapter 23, Exodus 23. When you get there, verse 25. He's going to add another blessing here in Exodus 20, Exodus 23, 25. But you shall serve the Lord your God, as opposed to the last verse, serving other gods. And he will bless your bread and your water. That is, your bread's going to be good, and you're going to eat good bread, and you're going to have good water to drink. Which you and I, we don't necessarily appreciate that as much as they did. But they lived in a place where, you know, hey, it was a lot of work to dig a well. It's expensive to dig a well today, but for them it was a lot of work. And then you did, weren't guaranteed when you dug a well that the water was going to be good. He's promising them good bread and good water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. So one of the things he's going to do is he's going to take that sickness away. And, and in verse 26, there will be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. So he's making the promise here that with the part of that sickness and part of those problems, guess what? You're going to have your children. You're not going to be losing children. You're not going to be miscarrying them, and you're not going to be barren. Those were promises under law. We don't have those promises today. We don't have the promises that God's going to protect us from illness, right? Is any here that's been protected from illness and you've never gotten sick? No. See, we don't have that promise uh, in our situation today. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to go down to verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them. I always like that, keep and do, shows you keeping does not necessarily mean doing. There's a twofold thing. So, uh, keep and do them. Oh, Deuteronomy 7.12, I just, just make sure we're all on the same page here, that the Lord your God will keep you, he will guard you with you, his covenant, excuse me, he will guard, or guard his covenant with you, his loving kindness which he swore to your forefathers, for he will love you, he will bless you and multiply you, that is, your numbers are going to increase you, your families are going to be healthy and big, and he will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, that is, your crops, your grain, and the new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd, so your livestock's doing well, and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers. And he shall bless you above all peoples. There shall be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will remove from you all sickness. He will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have, which you have known, but he will lay, lay them, excuse me, on all, on all who hate them. So he's, again, protecting them from the illness. And you shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, that they should be a snare to you. So he's going to deliver their enemies, these people that... And these people weren't friendly to Israel arriving in this land. Keep that in mind. Some people may not always appreciate that, but they weren't friendly. And they also were going to, as he said, they were going to entice Israel to worship their gods. And that actually happened many times in Israel's history that Israel failed on that. They got involved with these other nations that were around them and they ended up worshiping their gods, which is exactly why he says, don't marry them. 
Don't marry those people because they will get you to compromise with regard to these things. So those are an example of some blessings. And I know a lot of times we do blessings, we go over to Deuteronomy 28, and we go through the blessings there, but hopefully this is just a different take on looking at some of the ways that God was going to bless Israel under the law. So he says, here's the law, here's this law covenant, you obey it, you're going to get these good things. As some people have summarized, you're going to get, remember there's three things, health, wealth, and happiness. Health, wealth, and happiness. And then there's one last addition there. In the land. He was going to give them the land. They were going to be in the land. And in the land, they'd have health, wealth, and happiness. That's a nice summary of these blessings. And that's a motivation. Sounds like a really good motivation. And we're going to find out apparently it's not enough because God is actually, in the end, going to use more negative reinforcement than he's going to use the promise of blessings. So with these, I want us to go back over to the book of Exodus and I want to go to Exodus chapter 21. You know, I grew up sitting in Bible study. I told you we had this pastor that taught us this. He taught that we weren't under the law, although I think this is funny. And I'm not for sure if he was the pastor that was doing the youth group the first time I taught a Bible study in youth group. I, I taught on living by the Ten Commandments. I've told you that before. I didn't know any better uh, at that time. But you know what? When we went and did those things, I think that was the previous pastor that I did that with. But anyway, um, when we talk to people about the law, most people don't know what we're going to look at next. This section on curses. They, we kind of conveniently ignore these things, number one. And number two, we ignore the fact that there was a death penalty for most of the commands. I think my first year in seminary, we we were going through the, the four books of Moses that include the law. We Genesis was in another class. And when we went through this, to me, my jaw just about, you know, I'm, what? There was death penalties for all these things? How come nobody's ever taught me this when we went through, through the Bible on this kind of stuff? We kind of conveniently dropped that out of Sunday school lessons on the law. We want kids to obey their parents. But we want to, don't want to tell those kids, you know what happens if you disobey your parents and you strike your parents and you curse your parents? You die. They take you to the outside edge of town and everybody gets together and they stone you. Well, I think I do remember learning that one, one time. That was pointed out. But let's take a look at these. Exodus chapter 21. And let's put in down at verse 12. And I'm just going to begin reading through these down through this. It says, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. And if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. In other words, if it was an accident that it happened, something arose and this thing happened, but he wasn't trying to kill him. Verse 14, if, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor so as to kill him, that is craftily, that is, he's sneaking up, he's premeditation is what he's talking about then you take him even from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Wow. And he who kidnaps a man. So stealing does not bring the death penalty. But if you steal a person, that brings the death penalty. Whether he sells him or is found in his possession. So it doesn't make any difference whether he sold him for slavery or kept him for himself. You kidnap a person, you should be put to death. And he who curses... His father or mother shall be put to death. 
Now, we've got two keywords for cursing in the law sections. And this particular word for curse that he uses here is you treat them lightly. So it's kind of like the kids that mom and dad say, I need you to go out and take care of this. And they're like, I'll get to it when I have time. <clears throat> Whenever. You know, that kind of, that's taking, treating them lightly. And what does he say about them that curse or treat the father or mother lightly? He shall be put to death. Boy, that's pretty strong. And if two men have a quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but remains in bed, if he gets up and walks around out, outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall only have to pay for his loss of time in this. Um, I'm going to go on down to, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm skipping over a number of things because there's talking about some other things that they do here in this context. Um, let's go down to verse 28. It says, And if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, and the ox, the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. If, however, an ox has previously been in the habit of goring, and its owner has been warned, yet he does not confine it, and it kills man or woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. So if you don't deal with an animal, that'd be kind of like, we're talking about an ox there, but I was thinking you put it in a modern context. You know, if you've got a dog that's a nasty dog, and you know that that dog's attacked and bit people before, and then attacks and bites someone so much that they die, hmm, not just the dog is going to be put down, but, well, same. It kind of puts things in perspective. I'm thinking about this because my wife has a niece that was attacked by their neighbor's dogs. And her doctor said if that, it bit her in the neck. And he says if that tooth had been just a fraction over, it would have hit this. She would have been gone. That's, it was that bad. And they couldn't get the dog, it, it had problems getting the dog off her. Anyway, just the different things that we deal with in the modern world. Turn down to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22 and uh, we're going to put in, in verse uh, 18, it says, You shall not allow a sorceress, a witch, or a person that, that does, um, what's the other word I'm looking for? I think I wrote it down in here. Practices divination. Uh, shall not permit them to live. In other words, you're going to put them to death. Whoever lies with an animal shall be surely be put to death. You all understand what that's talking about. He who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall utterly be destroyed. That is, you're going to put them to death. You getting the point uh, that what he's trying to get through to these people is that these people were being motivated to obey the law by the fact that there was a death penalty for many of these things. Which, by the way, is interesting that when you go over to the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to try to go there before we're done, but Paul referred to the law as a ministry of death. It was a ministry of death. Because it didn't really produce life. They could have had life if they would have obeyed, but the is, is the nature of man to obey God or not obey God? Not obey God. In our fallen state, in fact, even as believers, we still struggle with obeying God, don't we? And I can guarantee you, if it were not for the fact that I was living under grace and I wasn't raised under and I wasn't under the Mosaic law literally like Israel was, I'd be here today. I would have died a long time ago, okay? I would have died a long time ago for doing those kind of things. Okay, the next thing I want you to see is go back to Exodus chapter 19. 
And I have a couple different I have a couple different notes here that I'm I'm just going to point these out. Uh, it says in uh, uh, this is over on the right hand column in there. I just have these different words on curse because we have their kalah, which meant to treat lightly or with contempt, but we also had a curse. The other word, arar, which had to do with binding a person. So a person's bound into something. They can't escape. So there are, so part of the idea of being a curse that they would have understood is to be bound under a, a conflict or a problem uh, as a result of something that they do. But the next thing I want to look at here is in Exodus chapter 19, that um, when God was bringing them out of, of Egypt and he's talking to them, he says, verse 5, Now then, if you will indeed hear my voice, and we've talked about last week that word uh, shama is to hear, to listen to. Okay, And obey is, yes, is wrapped up in there, but it's not just obeying. It's, there's, it's really listening to this attentively, what he's saying. And keep or guard my covenant. The covenant that God had made with Abraham. That's what he's asking them about. Then you shall be my own special possession among the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you will be to me, notice what he says, a kingdom of priests. He doesn't say that you're going to be a kingdom that has priests. He says, you all are going to be a kingdom of priests. But this is not actually the way this plays out. So, turn with me over to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28 and verse 1. I realize I'm blitzing through a lot of these things. Whether you think I am or not, we are blitzing through this stuff. So, Exodus 28, 1. Then bring near to yourself Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel. From among the sons. So he's not bringing the sons of Israel. You're taking these guys from among the sons of Israel to minister, or literally in the Hebrew, to priest to me. There's no word minister there. Simply to priest to me. We wouldn't use the word priest as a verb. To me, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So it's not all the family. It's not all of Israel. It's not even all the family of Levi. It's those that are part of the family of Aaron. They're the ones that are going to be priests uh, in this matter. Keeping that in mind, then, turn over to the book of Numbers. Turn to chapter 18. Numbers chapter 18. Now, in Numbers 18, he's actually going through not only what the priests do, but if uh, let's go back up to verse 1 and just kind of see what he, so you can see what he's talking about. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. You and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the Lord. So they have other jobs. They have jobs of cleaning stuff up, taking stuff in and out, but the priests are the ones that actually attend directly to the service in the tent. Okay, tabernacle we have, old English word. It ended up becoming the temple. And it says, verse 4, And they shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all, of all, for all the service of the tent, but an outsider, a stranger, not one of the family of Levi, shall not come near you. 
So you shall tend to the obligation of the sanctuary and the obligation of the altar, that there may no longer be wrath or anger on the sons of Israel. And behold, I myself have taken you, fellow Levites, from among the sons of Israel that are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood. So he's gone back to Aaron now. You and your sons are the ones that are going to be the priests, not the rest of the Levites. They've got other duties around that tent. But only Aaron's family are going to be the priesthood for everything concerning the altar. And inside the veil, going through the veil into that tent, and you are to perform the service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near, somebody else that comes in there and tries to do what the priests are supposed to do, shall be put to death. Only the family of Aaron were to be priests. Anybody else that stepped across that line was to be put to death. By the way, puts Saul's actions when he offers sacrifices in a pretty serious situation. And yet they don't do anything. God's the one that has to take Saul out because the people aren't going to do it in that situation like there. So this is what, so again, we have a situation that, again, not everybody became priests. He promised them that back in, in Exodus 19, but because they said, oh, we can do everything God says, then God gives them the law. And as a result, under the law, they don't get everything that God was promising back there in Exodus 19. And one of the things they don't get is they don't all get to become priests. Only one family from one tribe gets to be priests. If you're today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, man, woman, old person or young, you are a, you're a priest. You are a priest. That's why Paul says we offer sacrifices and that's why Peter says that we are a kingly priesthood. We are a royal race. The whole church, the whole body of Christ. We have one high priest, Jesus Christ, over, over all of us, but the rest of us, we are all priests in Christ. We all have absolute equal access to God uh, at any time. We come through the veil, Hebrews chapter 10 says, the veil of Christ's flesh. We approach God because we don't have an earthly, earthly temple. Uh, by the way, I, Peg and I were talking about this the other day. We had to go up to Moses Lake and we're passing that big construction site up there on 90 <laughs> where they're building a temple. And I asked Peg, I, where she was making some comments on it. I said, you know one of the things that always strikes me is when you had a temple on earth, traditionally, a temple was a place where God dwelt. So which one of those does, they, they keep building them all over. Which one does God dwell in? See, Israel had one temple, one tent that God dwelt in, and then they, he had to build the temple, and he went from the tent to the temple. And remember, when he filled the temple, or the tent, nobody else could be in there tells us at the end of the book of Exodus. And when he did the same thing when they, when they dedicated the temple and he went from the tent to the temple, same thing. His glory filled that and it basically kind of drove everybody else. They couldn't stand in the middle of that. I don't know, it just kind of struck me as interesting. One other interesting aside, just thinking about this with regard to us, we not only are priesthood, but what are we individually? Each of us is a, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And collectively, all of us as believers, not just those of us here, but all believers across the world, we all are. We all are a temple. We're the temple. God doesn't have a physical temple anymore. That he, We got so much better, don't we? You don't have to go to 
temple to get your marriage fixed and all this other nonsense and such like that. Isn't it so much better to live under grace? <laughs> Aren't you glad we're reading these things? I mean, you need to understand this because a lot of Christians don't understand just how tough the law was for Israel. It really was, it really was something that was very hard and very difficult uh, to understand. I think one of the things that's important for us is it hopefully makes you appreciate what it is to live under grace even more so today, that you're not under that law. And all of us are priests, and we all are a temple, all of us together, the benefits of what it means to be under the grace of God. Let's take your Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy here. Scriptures end up telling us that they broke this covenant. We're not going to look at that. I've got some verses on here that tell us that they broke this covenant, but we're not going to uh, go over those. But I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And when you get there, I want you to put in at verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 26. Seeing I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Now this is, by the way, how many years have passed between Exodus, where we were, we were over in those chapters in Exodus, Exodus 19, 20, 21, and now we're in Deuteronomy. How many years have passed between those two? More than 40 years. Because remember, mom and dad, as well as some of these people in Deuteronomy, they all stood... They all stood there on the southern border of Israel. They sent the spies in, and 10 of the spies came back and said, that land is terrible. Yeah, it's, there's great stuff there, but we're never going to survive. And we can't do it. Caleb and Joshua go, oh no, God will give us the land. We can take it. Those guys convince everybody, and so God goes, you know what? You guys are going to march around for 40 years out here until you all die. Everybody that stood there at the border and said no, you're all going to die over the next 40 years in the wilderness. Marching around. Can you imagine just marching around for 40 years? This is generation two. These are everybody that 40 years earlier had been 20 years and younger. So nobody is, is present here that is over 60. They're all 60 years and under, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And so it says in verse 26, to this, this, this next generation, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today. And the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I'm commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. And it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, that you may place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and on Mount Ebal. These are two actual mountains. And so they're going to set up these, these pillars up there, and they're going to be able to look up, and they're going to be a reminder, we, we committed ourselves to this law. And there are blessings if we obey, and there's curses if we disobey. And it's going to be something visible as a reminder of this as they set those up. And what they said is, are, are they not across the Jordan, west of the way, toward the sunset in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, besides the Oaks of Morah? For you are about to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall possess and live in it. You shall be careful to do all the statutes and the judgments which I'm setting before you today. 
says, as you go in, we're about right across that Jordan River. And when we cross that Jordan River, literally crossing that river, going from the east side over to the west side, when we're going to cross this river, you guys need to remember, you have committed yourselves to obeying this law. And there are both blessings and there are curses. And you need to take these seriously. Now, just to put this in perspective here at the end, <clears throat> I did a little... One of the fun things that you can do with computers, it saves a lot of time of actually going through your Hebrew text and counting all these up uh, with a pencil, <clears throat> is that when we have these curses and blessings listed in Deuteronomy 28, which we didn't go over today, we've gone over these many times before, but we didn't today, we looked at them from some different texts. In that, he lists the blessings in 197 words and 14 verses. 14 verses, keep in mind, that's our English text, okay? because they didn't write theirs in verses. About 197 words in the Hebrew text. He lists the curses in 776 words and 54 verses. He spends three times as much time emphasizing the curses as he does the blessings. Because you know what? The natural man, the man without the work of the Spirit in their life, it takes more negative to get them to behave than it does the promise of prosperity and blessings. And yet it still didn't work. Israel's history is replete with their disobedience. I want you to take your Bibles as we close and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I made mention to this earlier, but we just close with this today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to end up preaching this whole thing, so we're going to try to stick to the, to the main point. Verse 5, not that we are adequate or sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as from ourselves, our sufficiency or adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate or sufficient ministers with respect to the new covenant. Now, I don't think Paul means by there that he's ministering the new covenant or serving the new covenant. I think it's because of that new covenant that Paul, and there, as well as the Corinthians he's getting at, that we are able to serve. That new covenant makes that possible. By the way, when we share communion next week, and part of communion focuses on our being part of the body of Christ, and part of communion focuses on the cup, which is the new covenant by my blood, Jesus said right out of his lips. That new covenant is, give, is talking about the power he gives you to actually function and serve in that one body. Anyway, keep that in mind as you approach communion next week. But he says we are servants with respect to a new covenant. Not one of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What does he mean the letter kills? Well, verse 7, for if the ministry of death in letters engraved in stones, what's that? Those are the tablets of the law that we looked at last week. Those tablets in which they were engraved. Cut by, by the way, whose finger? God's finger. Moses was to cut out the tablets, but God was the one that wrote the law both the first time. For some reason, I always had this notion that the first time God wrote it, and then when Moses blew his top in Israel for all their horrible things they were doing, that he then took those stones and broke them, you know, and then he had to do them the second time. But no, God wrote them the second time too, according to Scripture. So God's the one that wrote that law down. But they nonetheless 
were engraved in stones, and it came with glory. There was some glory. When God was up on the mountain, there was glory. It was terrifying glory to the people of Israel, but it was still glory. Because remember what's glory? The Hebrew word for glory, kabod, is weight. It's weighty. It's heavy. You take it seriously. It's a little different than our New Testament word for glory. And God showed, this is how much serious you take me. He comes down on a mountain and fire and smoke and thunder and lightning. And they're going, you talk with God, Moses. If, we talk, if he talks with us, we'll all die. They were terrified. He showed them how serious he was. Because they all said, oh, we, we can do what God said. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, we don't want to listen to God because that's terrifying. But it did come with a notion of glory. In fact, there was even glory that Moses, who got to then go up and meet with God, comes down and his face would glow. And he says, so that came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. So even though they were terrified by that glory, Moses got to meet him and it made his face glow. How shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation, judgment, that's what the law was, has glory, how much more the ministry of righteousness and glory? I want you to look down, move down to the end of the chapter, down to verse 17. There's a lot of stuff here. I'm not, I don't want to teach you this whole chapter, but down to verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's that word? Liberty. Freedom. There's freedom. See, the work of the Spirit in our lives today is not to take us to the Mosaic Law. It's not to teach us to live by the Ten Commandments. That is not our code of conduct. Even though we might, we might want to principalize it and say, kids, listen to this command because you know what? You can live a long life. If you, you know, we still, in the end, we want to come back and say, no, we're really not under that code. We're really not under that code. We now have a new relationship to God, a better relationship to God, as the writer of Hebrews says. And the spirit in us results in our having liberty or freedom. And that liberty or freedom, then he expresses, what's the result of that? Verse 18, but we all then with an unveiled face, we didn't put a veil like Moses did, we're beholding, not beholding, we are, we are reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we're being transfigured. Same word used of Jesus being transfigured on the mountain. He says, we are being transfigured from glory to glory. Moses had glory when he came down. He met with God. There was glory on his face. But as time went by, that glory faded and faded and faded. And Paul's conclusion on that is that shows it that the law was going to fade. But ours, the work of the Spirit in us, the work of liberty with the Spirit, that glory does not fade. It goes from glory to more glory, to more glory, to more glory. I trust if you look at your life now, compared to when you were first saved, you would say there's different things that God's doing through my life now than he did then. Some of those things are still the same, but he's, he's continuing to fine-tune it. It's fine-tuning love, right? Mature, there's... Love is not all love is not all love. It's love in a general sense, but there are different degrees and qualities of the way that love is lived out. And not only love, but that's true with regard to peace and joy and patience and kindness and go through the rest of the works of the, uh, or the fruit of the Spirit, excuse me. 
And so it's that same glory, even as from the Lord, that is the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that we all have, has provided us liberty, freedom. We're not under that law. I trust you appreciate how much that, the significance of what that means to not be under that law and to be free of the law today. We're not under that covenant. That was a covenant God made with Israel. In fact, he just mentioned in here, you and I are ministers with regard to a different covenant. <laughs> not that covenant of the law. Covenant of condemnation and death. A new covenant. It's a covenant that also is going to involve with it, just even as we kind of saw here in the last, covenant of freedom. Our main subject today was to look at this covenant. We're trying to look at these covenants that God's made. We are eventually going to get to some a covenant that he's made with us and some others we're related to. But it's important, I think, at the end of this, having spent so much time looking at the death and, and the curses under this, to be reminded you and I have something better. In Christ, being free, because Jesus Christ did everything for us by his death on the cross for our sins, his burial and his resurrection. In simple faith in Jesus Christ, it's caused us to be forgiven and freed. What a wonderful promise. Father, we're thankful. Oh, yes, go ahead. That's right. We are to be motivated today by love. Precisely. Precisely. Not by trying to get blessings or trying to avoid curses. Father, we're thankful for the time you've given us today. We're thankful for... Uh, the fact that, yeah, you gave Israel the law and it served a purpose and it has demonstrated in reality, as we saw last week, it's demonstrated our inability. It's demonstrated the inability and the sinfulness of man. And it did that well. And you intended it to demonstrate that. And we still recognize that. But we're thankful that you have put us in a new relationship to yourself, in a relationship in which... Uh, you dwell in us, the Son dwells in us, and the Spirit dwells in us. And the Spirit is able to produce in us freedom, practical, real freedom. And we're thankful for that. Thankful for this time together and for the attention of these people. And ask that you might uh, cause us to go away encouraged as we want to serve others, doing so with a motivation of love, as opposed to being motivated to try to earn or avoid either earning blessings or avoiding problems. And we thank you for this then. Amen.